everyone. Welcome to A Gut Feely. My name is Jake and I'm joined here today with Dave. As health coaches and educators, we've helped thousands of clients optimize their life by healing their gut. Our aim with this podcast is to provide you with some of those tools. Now, before we get into it, don't forget to check out the show notes for links to our social media profiles. And if you like what we've got to say, go with your gut and give this podcast a follow. Now, let's get into today's show. <laughs> okay, welcome back, everyone. So today we are talking about probably one of the most misunderstood topics in the health and wellness world. I can't think of anything which is more vilified wrongly and more misunderstood by um, both practitioners and by uh, just a general population than this topic. So Dave, do you want to drop it for us? What are we talking about today? Yeah, it's, look, it's definitely one of the most, you know, sort of condemned compounds going mm-hmm. around. Um, and, I, you know, I really, and I'm sure you're the same, I really believe that this has come to the detriment to a lot of people's health. And what we're talking about here is, it's a lipoprotein. What the hell does that mean? Basically means uh, lipid and it's bound with protein. Okay. And that's cholesterol. That's what we're talking about. And what we want to get across initially is just how important cholesterol is. And so, of course, you know, 70% of the cholesterol in the body is synthesized in the liver. So that's a, that's a huge factor. Okay. But that also does mean like 30% has got to come from dietary. And I, I would say like your requirements around cholesterol are really going to vary from individual to individual and believe it or not even people like athletes where they're having to produce a lot of like steroidal hormones because they're going through like fight and flight and stress response and they're having to produce more things like testosterone and sex hormones and so forth well there's going to be like a real high demand for for cholesterol in that instance because one of the benefits of cholesterol is that it's a precursor to every single steroidal hormone in your body okay so we're talking about things like pregnenolone like the mother hormone progesterone estrogen, testosterone, DHEA, mineral corticoids, cortisol, okay? So all these steroidal hormones. So it's so important for hormonal output. And so, you know, even the aspects of your ability to uptake serotonin within the brain is really dependent on cholesterol as well, okay? So your mood, okay, and your behavior is really dependent on cholesterol as well. And like I said, yes, the, the you know, we, 70% is synthesized in the liver, but that 30% has got to come from dietary as well. And a lot of that is really dependent on your ability to assimilate and absorb and break down fats properly. That's really important there, Dave, the the 70%, because a lot of people may not even realize that. When you go to the doctor, obviously cholesterol tends to be one of the markets doctors do like talking about, and they'll see an elevation or what they would class as an elevation. We'll talk all about that in a little while. And the first part of the conversation that comes up is always dietary. And it's it's almost to the point where you'd be forgiven for thinking that cholesterol is only due to dietary cholesterol, that if you didn't even understand your, your liver synthesized majority of it. So 70% you're saying is synthesized by the liver. So if we see an elevation or we see uh, it's low, we need to start asking questions around the liver. But that other 30%, it's not as clear as just fats because a lot of the time people just correlate cholesterol with fat so what foods actually contain dietary cholesterol yeah so i mean if we look at like some of the major foods that you know contain dietary cholesterol like some of the best sources like things like scallops like i'm just talking about some of the most bang for your buck here yeah, you can't yeah. uh, it's not going to be the ones that uh, i think like they, they the, the stat on scallops is like um 
they have about three times the amount of dietary cholesterol than something like eggs, which is obviously the one that gets talked yeah. about a lot more. Okay, so chicken eggs, duck eggs are, are really high in dietary cholesterol as well. Organic pork, so animal proteins, and you know, pan-fried liver, liver pate, so organ meats are actually brains. We're going to screw up their nose on that one because obviously there's a lot of cholesterol within the brain. Okay, so of, of course, if you consume something like brains, they're very high in cholesterol. So these, these would be some of the, the foods that I would say, uh, you know, contain good substantial ma- amounts of like dietary cholesterol. I don't know if there's any that you want to add on top of that. No, I think that's a good list. I mean, you'd obviously mentioned the key ones there. And what's important is that list is all animal-based. And that's going to be important later on in the conversation. We talk about low cholesterol and risk factors for low cholesterol as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, we just want people to understand that. I've only just mentioned a few things. So even your ability to synthesize vitamin D, well, that's also dependent on cholesterol as well. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and and people look at a lot, a lot of this whole thing around, like even when there's like trauma in the arteries and so forth. Okay. Well, you know, you're looking at things like low density lipoprotein and like LDL particles. Okay. And actually what they help to do is they help to sort of like plug the trauma in the arteries. So they're actually helping to deal with that trauma in the the arteries. That's doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. So this is a a beneficial aspect. I mean, when I, when I talk about this sort of, this, this sort of uh, function within the, within the body. Okay. So a lot of the things that might cause like the trauma in the arteries and so forth, well, that might be, you know, high amounts of stress, like chronic stress, okay? Because, you know, you're going into more fight and flight, you're producing more like catecholamines, like epinephrine and norepinephrine and like stress hormones. And that's creating more like vasodilation. And what we need to understand is if you're doing that constantly, there's a lot more pressure on the arteries, Mm. okay? There's a lot more pressure and even things, you know, like bacterial byproducts, certain lifestyle factors, you know, what you're putting in your body. These are a lot of the things that would create the trauma, in the arteries okay and then what we need to understand is you know that basically the cholesterol actually helps to plug that trauma in the arteries okay and then what happens is like other molecules like things like calcium ions and so forth they sort of get like stuck in the fat deposits and then essentially this oxidizes and this can actually cause the narrowing of the arteries now we could sit there and just like blame the the cholesterol which is what we essentially tend to do okay or we could analyze what is actually causing the trauma within the arteries i mean that's probably the most important thing to establish because the analogy that i like to give is it's a little bit like you know you getting hit by a car okay and then ultimately we're going to call the ambulance and basically cholesterol is like the ambulance okay because it's coming along to fix the trauma in the arteries and then essentially you know the, the ambulance is just doing its job. And, and rather than, than us blaming the car that actually hit you, we blame the ambulance. And that's, I think that's a pretty good analogy of essentially what we're doing here, okay? Mm-hmm. And so I think like, like most things, we, we need to understand what's really causing this, uh, what's really causing this problem, what's really causing these complications. And, and obviously we're probably going to dive into that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So a lot of people have heard sort of the, um, I guess, oversimplified concept that there's kind of like good cholesterol, bad cholesterol. And so when you're talking about some of these positive impacts of cholesterol, that's probably not all that, um, I guess, shocking because people have heard about, well, there's good cholesterol anyway. So that makes sense. That it's doing good things. We need it for sex hormones. Okay. That, that makes sense. Is, do you want to touch on that at all? What do you think about that notion of yeah, good like, and bad cholesterol? Well, like the, the, what I would say about that is all cholesterol is essential. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so where, where people have sort of heard the, these sort of like terminologies that you're mm-hmm. talking about is they talk about like, like LDL cholesterol, which basically 
means low density lipoprotein. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And and essentially, what does that mean? Okay. It's it's essentially carrying uh, more lipids and it's carrying less protein. That's basically yep. what it means from a structural perspective. And essentially, it's it's basically it carries about seventy percent of the cholesterol in the body. So essentially, it's just like a transporter. That doesn't sound too bad to me. And essentially, it's taking the cholesterol from the liver to the peripheral tissue. We're essentially what we need it for all these mechanisms that I'm talking about. Once again, yep. that's essential. Okay. And being a transporter, it actually helps to tra transport other compounds as well, like serine, which actually is an amino acid that we actually need for, you know, like cognitive function. Mm -hmm. Actually, you need it for phosphatidyl serine, which actually helps to block cortisol. So this is once again really important. Okay. And also mm -hmm. you'll transport like choline. Which is you know sort of classified as like uh, you know vitamin B four okay, mm. but choline we need for things like acetylcholine and acetylcholine you know a major neurotransmitter that's sort of excitatory in the brain but inhibitory in the cardiovascular system so it actually helps with like lowering blood pressure lowering resting heart rate okay so what I'm saying is that these are really essential functions and mm. and LDL cholesterol is really essential to transport these. Uh, molecules and these compounds around the body and once again we need to, we need to ask ourselves is does that sound bad hmm. okay and then if we look at something like because most of the time we'd go well that's the bad cholesterol yeah. okay well look at all these functions does that sound bad to you it doesn't sound hmm. bad to me it's it's essential okay and then they look at like high density lipoprotein which basically means it's less lipids and it's more protein and essentially what it's doing it's transporting the the cholesterol from the peripheral tissue back to the liver where it's it's basically um, excreted out of the liver. And that's basically what it means, okay? Now, and then we say, and, and, and of course, like this is an imperative function as well, but we just say that's the good cholesterol. I go, well, they're both essential, okay? And so it's, you know, and even if we look at it, like just from LD, uh, LDL cholesterol perspective, I mean, you look at it, okay? Like cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, being a pre precursor to all your steroidal hormones in the body. Mm -hmm. Well, that's essential. Okay, mm. so your sex hormones and like energy systems and all, all all these things that I've sort of already mentioned. Okay, that's really really dependent on that. And a lot of the time, we're, we're looking at it and we're looking at it in the in the realms of you know plaquing and atherosclerosis mm. and cardiovascular disease and and these types of things. Where really like LDL cholesterol as a marker is not really a good depiction of cardiovascular risk, even though we're actually using it as the indication of cardiovascular risk. The two major, when you look at lipid markers that we would be actually uh, looking at to measure like cardiovascular risk is actually total cholesterol, which is just the total amount of VLDL, which is very low density lipoprotein, uh, LDL, low density lipoprotein and, and high density lipoprotein, just taking that and, and, and totaling it together. And that's a re representation of your total cholesterol. And then looking at the LDL cholesterol and saying that this is a depiction of atherosclerosis and cardiovascular disease and plaquing it. And really, it actually comes more down to the LDL particles themselves as being a far better representation of cardiovascular risk. And I would say within your bloods, a far better representation of cardiovascular risk is your fasting triglycerides. So it makes more sense when we talk about the LDL particles. Mm. Okay. The, the, yes, maybe the HDL. So in terms of the cholesterol that's getting transported back from the peripheral tissue to the, to, to the liver, okay. Uh, in terms of if that's really low, okay. So elevation, the fasting triglycerides are lowering in the HDL cholesterol, and then probably an elevation in your fasting glucose and your fasting insulin yeah. would be a far greater 
uh, indication of something like metabolic syndrome and cardiovascular disease than actually just using total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol. Because once again, they're not measuring the LDL particles and that's where the, the problem really lies. So do you want to touch on that a little bit more? So you're saying when we test cholesterol, we test HDL, LDL, sometimes a little VLDL, but you don't normally see that in blood work. And you're saying that what we're testing isn't exactly what is implied by the test, right? And so when we're looking at just the HDL or the LDL test itself on paper, it's not giving us the information we think it's giving us, is it? Yeah, well, like, like a good example with, with what I'm talking about here would be if we looked at just total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol, and it's like, these are a precursor to your steroidal hormones. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And once again, let's just use the example that I've used in terms of like, uh, they're found with, you know, athletes that they excessive, like, you know, excessive training can, can massively deplete their cholesterol stores. Now, why people go, well, why would that, why, why would that be the case? Well, because they need the cholesterol to actually help with the production of their steroidal hormones. Yeah. Okay. So we, when we talk about steroidal hormones, you need things like acetyl, acetyl coenzyme A, like panathenic acid, B5. You need dietary fats. Okay, you need cholesterol. Okay, so just key building blocks. Okay, so just putting more pressure on that. So what happens if I'm chronically stressed and I'm producing more things like cortisol? Would you would would we think that there's an argument to say that my total cholesterol, my LDL cholesterol, and if I looked at the fasting glucose and the fasting insulin, maybe that's okay. If I looked at the HDL cholesterol, that's okay. My fasting triglycerides are okay. And that could just be a sign that actually I'm, I'm, I'm producing more steroidal hormones. I'm more stressed. Okay. So I'm pumping out more of these hormones. And then we look at it and go, well, that's we're, we're saying that that's cardiovascular risk. And then we're saying that's atherosclerosis. And then maybe you get put on statins in that instance. Okay? But it's actually just because you're stressed. So you're saying in that instance, the body's upregulated cholesterol production because it's a high need because of the, the steroidal hormone production. Exactly. Okay. Where, where a better indication, if we look at like maybe the fasting triglycerides aspect, and then obviously if we could look at like LDL particles, okay. Now we don't look at LDL particles. I mean, I, I think I might've had it once. Mm. So it's not a luxury that everyone um, has. Okay. But right. I would strongly advise people if they do think they have, uh, issues with like cardiovascular disease and atherosclerosis and all these types of things. Like you've got to look at the LDL particles, okay? Because that's telling us how many LDL particles the actual liver is producing. Uh, and then we can have to start to understand like why is the liver producing more LDL particles, okay? So, so just go, go a little bit deeper there. So you're saying LDL particles is different to LDL cholesterol. And I think a lot of people don't yeah. realize that. I, yeah, so, so what I mean by this, okay? And I'll try and dumb it down as much as I can. It's basically when we look at LDL cholesterol, it's telling us the, if we look at the particle, yep. okay, it's telling us how much cholesterol, because once again, the LDL particles transport. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And, and so they're going to transport cholesterol, but guess what? They also transport triglycerides. Yeah. Okay. They actually transport like even things like antioxidants and they'll, they'll even transport other like micronutrients as well. Okay. Yep. So they're transporters. Um, and so the way to look at it, okay. What happens if I, you know, if I do have an excess amounts of triglycerides. Now, why might that come about is like maybe excess amounts of calories. Yep. So this might come about from just someone consuming like, you know, high amounts of like poor quality food, like, like maybe too in excess of, uh, you know, the calorie requirements. In, and this does come down to energy balance and so forth. So I'm not taking away from that. Okay. That's a, that's a really important tool to use. So um, you know, so if they've got excess amounts of like triglycerides, then what happens is, is the triglycerides are transported within the particles. 
And the thing here is, is that the triglycerides actually take up more space within the particles. So how could we analyze this? Is that basically when the triglycerides increase, so coming about from, you know, as I said, excess amounts of calories, all these things that I've talked about, because um, obviously these are getting stored in the form of triglycerides. It's basically like glycerol and three long chain fatty acid molecules. That's what it is. And then if, if, the, if, it, if there's excess amounts of the triglycerides and they're taking up more space within the particles, essentially what you're doing is you're pushing out the cholesterol. Okay, so you get a raise in the triglycerides, you actually get a sort of like a, a decrease in the cholesterol. Now, do you think the body's going to do nothing about this? No. So what the body, what the liver's going to do is start to pump out more LDL particles. Now, why does it pump out more LDL particles? Because it wants to transport the cholesterol. And I actually think they did like uh, uh, research on this and actually found that the liver will pump out anywhere up to 2.8 times more LDL particles to try and transport the cholesterol. But the, the point that I'm getting across is what's the real issue here is things like, you know, insulin resistance, like blood sugar management dysregulation. Um, so Dave, know, I don't want to cut you off, but we do need to get to that in just a moment. So just before we do, because this is, I think the, this is, this explains how we've got it so wrong, right? This is why the narrative has been so backwards for so long, because we've gotten confused with LDL and with LDL particles, haven't we? So what you're saying there is when there's this overload of, fuel of fat in the blood triglycerides that's where the particle is increasing so we're going to see an increase in particles okay but we're not we're not really testing for that are we we're not testing for it that's what that's i mean that's one of the big points that we're getting across yeah okay so we're not testing for that okay where we're just basing what we're going to be doing on the fact that of uh the ldl cholesterol marker itself yes okay which actually might just give you more of an indication of like steroidal hormonal output. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and these factors that I've already talked about rather than, um, you know, atherosclerosis and cardiovascular risk and like plaquing and these types of things, which most of the time, the thing that gets applied is trying to rectify that. Yes. Yes. So that is so fundamental. If, if people don't, learn anything else from this podcast. I think if that alone they learn, that will change the whole narrative on how we understand lipids and cholesterol and fat and, and what a healthy diet is because we're not looking at LDL in blood work, at, at LDL cholesterol. We're not able to use that as a clear marker of cardiovascular disease based on function, are we? So we're not testing. We're not actually doing the appropriate testing to, to, to determine cardiovascular risk factor based on LDL particles, that's not on your blood work when you go and get your blood done. And if you, and, and if you were going to base it on blood markers, okay, what I yeah. would basically say is that a better indication is what I've already talked about. Yeah. Okay. So if you looked at something like fasting triglycerides, if there's an elevation in the fasting triglycerides, there's yeah. a lowering in the HDL cholesterol, and then you're fasting glucose and you're fasting insulin elevated together. Yes. Well, this is more of a sign of like insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome. What do I mean by metabolic syndrome, like cardiovascular risk, heart attack, stroke, okay, these types of things. That's a yes. better indication. And so maybe if you're ticking all the boxes there, now we could potentially yes. have like this, this conversation. Yeah. So for me, when I look at blood work, I look at total cholesterol and I look at glucose or insulin if we've got it, and I look at triglycerides. And if those are not elevated, to me, an elevation in cholesterol is, well, elevation, maybe we should touch on that. But to me, seeing higher cholesterol is not a metabolic concern to me if I'm not seeing those other markers elevated and I'm not seeing evidence of metabolic dysfunction in my client. 
right? It might be telling you this maybe poor utilization of fats. It might be, like you said, this stress response occurring. There might be something else going on, but it's not an indicator, a clear indicator of cardiovascular disease, is it? Correct. And, you know, even with like, like an elevation in things like the LDL particles, like we're talking about, uh, there might be even like genetic elements there. Mm. And like, it's not something that we're going to like dive too deeply into, but I'm not taking away from that. Sure. Okay. So is that a possibility? It's a possibility for sure. I, I agree with people. Do I think it's one of the most common denominators? No. Okay. A lot of the other things that I'm going to be talking about, they're way more significant factors. Why? Because they're way more prevalent. Mm. But I'm not now, taking away from I'm not taking away from that genetic element yeah. um, as well. Yeah. And, and you could say that about anything as well. You could say about glucose. You know, someone, you could have two people following the same kind of carbohydrate heavy diet. And one person's going to have much higher glucose than the other, possibly due to genetic variances. So obviously, there's always going to be a degree where genetics are going to influence things, but it's not normally going to be the biggest causation, is it? So let's touch on values, okay? Because I actually saw this study, and I wish I looked it up before we spoke. It's a little while ago. I saw it now. But it was a meta-analysis done um, in, in Korea. And they are longitudinal studies, sorry, done in Korea. And they're looking at high and low cholesterol. And they found that actually low cholesterol was a, a greater risk factor for all cause mortality than high cholesterol was. And I believe it's at about below 4.0, I think we started to see a steady increase in mortality. And then when it got down to like 2.8 or something, there was a sharp upturn in mortality. So 2.8 uh, millimole, I think it is. Um, and so the values that we work off conventionally. If you were to go to a doctor, GP, get your labs done, most labs are using below about 4.0 or below about 4.4. It's somewhere around that realm, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, well, we, so we've talked about uh, this before, and I, I do tend to find a lot of the metrics for the, for the lipid markers. Uh, they are varying quite frequently. Okay? Yeah. And, and, and once again, a lot, of the, a lot of the time, it's just because it's based on averages. Yeah. Okay? And that's why we do see a lot of these variances. And also I would say that they do, center, that they do tend to sit these uh, op, you know, medical optimal ranges uh, a little bit more towards the low end because of a yeah. lot of these uh, preconceived ideas around like cholesterol. Um, and so, you know- that, That's an important, probably... important point there though, Dave, because a lot of the markers are based on averages. Like you said, they're just going to test the whole, the population, whatever, and then average it out, which as we know, is a really poor metric for working out what's optimal because what, about 60% of people have a chronic health condition, like 45% or so of kids have a chronic health condition, what, 50, 60% of people are overweight. And then we're using that as a metric for what's normal. So that makes no sense in and of itself. But even beyond that, the cholesterol markers, they're not even the average, right? They're, they've basically set this arbitrary number there as far as where they want to see the cholesterol levels lay. And that's not even based on what they're testing within the average population. So our, you know, most labs are going to say, uh, most of the labs I see, I don't know if you're the same, but I see they say below total cholesterol, below 4.0. That's what they say. They don't even give a minimum. They just say, we want to see it below 4.0. And so if you're sitting, it, I've, yeah. I've had clients come back to me at 2.9 or 2.8 total cholesterol. And the doctor said, that's phenomenal. That's the best they've ever seen. Best. Like it's a goal. The lower you get that cholesterol, the better. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a, it's a great point. Okay. Because, and I'm, I'm sure you're the same, Jake. I mean, when I see low total cholesterol, when I see really low LDL cholesterol, when I see these markers low, I really actually know that the person's <laughs> neurological frame of mind is actually in a really, really bad place. Yeah. 
Okay. And it's actually because of a lot of the factors that I've already talked about. I mean, like serine being so important yeah. because you're transporting less of these compounds around the body. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm transporting lower amounts of things like choline and I need, you need that for things like muscle contraction, acetylcholine plays, it's like the, one of the key compounds for the, for basically to help with the vagus nerve. So now we're talking about like rest and digest. So we're talking about the parasympathetic nervous system. We're talking about gut motility. So if you're, if you're transporting less of these compounds around the body, I mean, what sort of impact do you think that's going to have on things like cognitive function? Mm. What do you th- what sort of impact do you think that's even going to have on things like cardiovascular aspects as well, like blood pressure and resting heart rate? Okay. And with something like serine, that's going to have even like a potential huge impact on something like phosphatidyl serine and something like your ability to deal, deal with stress. Yep. So I do tend to find that these people, you know, the analogy that I would give is their brain is a little bit like mashed potato. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Like just cognitively, they, they just really struggle to, to, to take on information. Their, their stress resilience is really, really poor. Okay. And I'm sure you would, uh, you, you, you would be the same in terms of uh, what you found with clients who, who, who these markers are sitting low end. Absolutely. And you see it hormonally as well. You know, you'll see low testosterone in guys, you'll see, um, you know, low energy and, and um, you know, sometimes, like you said, mental state, but that could even translate to anxiety or just sort of poor mental one, state. Yeah, as once well. again, that's going to, that's going to have a huge impact on their steroidal hormones. I mean, you can, yeah. and you can do the correlation. Okay. Yeah. Like you said, they've got the, 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 the low LDL and the low total cholesterol. And then with that, they've got low steroidal hormone output and issues with like cortisol and if you've got issues with cortisol just understand like cortisol is not the devil it's a good Mm. thing Mm. and actually cortisol is required to it actually stimulates your immune system so it actually Mm. stimulates your lymphatic organs so you could be sitting even more immunosuppressed in that Mm. instance yeah so what values would you work off dave yeah so you know and, and once again, this like if we're dealing with, because uh, obviously I'm just talking about like what we're dealing with within Australia. Yeah. Uh, but if it's like something like total cholesterol, just to give people an example, I, I would base it off like 4.7 to 6.5. And most of the time I'd find that, you know, anything like over five would be considered extremely high. And then with something like LDL cholesterol, I'm working off like, like 2.1 to 4. And once again, like anything that's probably over like three is, is considered extremely, you know, high end. So you know, my optimal ranges, obviously they're a lot higher. Yeah. Okay. But, so what you just you said know, there, 4.7 as your lower cutoff for total cholesterol, there's labs that would say that the highest end your cholesterol should be is 4.0 or 4.4. And you're saying your lowest is significantly higher than the highest of what conventional medicine is saying. I've had clients, no word of a lie. I've had clients come back to me with a total cholesterol at 4.1 and the doctor tried to put them on statins. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Okay, but <laughs> but the thing is, I'm looking at it. I'm just going like, this is so beneficial for all the functions that I've already talked about: Your serotonin, vitamin D, steroidal yeah. hormones. Okay, like I really need it to be in a good place. Yeah. I mean, I think I talked to you about when I last tested my lipid markers. Okay, mm. and just so people, and I'm not saying people have to do exactly what I'm doing, but. Um, for people who don't know, like I eat an extraordinarily large amount of dietary cholesterol, like a, like a huge amount. And the last time like I actually checked my lipid markers, my total cholesterol was sitting at about 4.1. Okay. So with all the, the high amount of dietary cholesterol yep. that I consume, okay, it still was not even within my optimal range. Yep. Okay. Because I'm putting a huge demand on cholesterol. So not just the, the cholesterol that I've got to synthesize from the liver, but also from a dietary standpoint as well. And it's clear that my, my body is just like sopping that up like a sponge. Mm. Yeah, okay. Because 
you know, I use my brain a lot. So I need it for things like serotonin. I'm obviously really requiring it for those steroidal hormones once again. So it like, and I'm, I'm saying that that could really vary from individual to individual. Okay. And also once again, if we just talk about like, if, if, if they were actually looking at the LDL particles and so forth, they would actually find that some of the other health complications that a lot of people have actually some of the major contributors to why these people are having issues with like cardiovascular risk and atherosclerosis and so forth. And, you know, yeah. one factor behind that can be even things like a sluggish thyroid. Okay. Yeah. So like hypothyroidism and obviously hypothyroidism can lead to things like Hashimoto's, like an autoimmune condition, because what they've actually found is that basically having something like hypothyroidism can actually increase a particular enzyme. It's called HMG. CoA, yeah, okay. Uh, HMG CoA reductase. Okay. And when you actually get a, an increase in this enzyme, it actually causes you to produce high amounts of cholesterol from the liver. And actually, you actually um, even increase the like the LDL receptors. Okay. So that means you're going to increase things like LDL particles, you're going to get an increase there. And then also you can affect your ability to clear the LDL out as well. So there's a lot of things that are impaired there. Okay. So Aren't we better Correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. Is that anything to do with what statins work off, the, the enzyme that statins block? It's a good question. I have a feeling it is, but... Oh, look, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't say that um, with 100% conviction. Yeah, um, that's okay. But it's definitely a good question. Definitely a good question. So my point here is that, well, wouldn't we be best to look at what's obviously caused like the hypothyroidism and the Hashimoto's, okay? so that we're not having a negative impact once again on the LDL particles. Yeah. And, you know, a big factor that I always talk about with a lot of clients, how big an impact bacteria can have around this as well. And a lot of people don't know this, but cholesterol, I actually forgot to mention this, cholesterol is a powerful antioxidant. Mm, yeah. So when, when we're talking about like oxidative stress and free radical damage and these types of things, like everyone talks about, you know, some sort of, uh, Tibetan berry or something like that. Yeah. Okay. But you know, some of the most powerful antioxidants are like glutathione, melatonin yeah. and cholesterol. Yeah. Okay. So you'd actually say like LDL particles are sort of like you, you will raise these because it's almost like antiviral antibacterial. So they're going to raise in response to that. Okay. Because being like a powerful antioxidant, but they also got like sort of like antibacterial properties as well. And so I think they've actually found with something like H. pylori, which once again, it's not the devil, but it's a negative gram bacteria. And obviously you can get an overgrowth of H. pylori within the stomach lining, but they've actually shown that H. pylori can raise like LDL cholesterol, it can raise lipoproteins, and it can actually raise, I think they LDL particles number one. So they get a raise of that. Now people are going to go like, why? Why does that happen? Okay, Because essentially the LDL particles, what they do is, LPS, which is lipopolysaccharides, and for people who don't know what it is, okay, and basically that's the outer membrane of the endotoxin or the negative gram bacteria. It doesn't mean it's bad, but when there's high amounts, your body really wants to deal with this. It, it definitely wants to clear the excess amounts of LPS in the system because there's obviously a huge cascade, negative cascade effect within the body. Okay, so what the LDL particles do is they actually bind to the LPS. And that basically helps to minimize the, the toxic effects of the endotoxin. Well, that's imperative. So let's, let, let's look at this, okay? So if I've got H. pylori, 
Okay. If I've got an overgrowth of negative gram bacteria, whatever that might be, whether that's negative gram bacteria overgrowth within the colon, the large intestine, okay. And obviously you could have that negative gram bacteria overgrowth within the small intestine as well. Okay. Now, would you say it's completely out of the realms for people to have negative gram bacteria overgrowth within the stomach, small intestine, mm. and the large intestine? I've got a few of those clients now. <laughs> okay. So it's like, like I would say, I see it, you know, I see it commonly. Okay. So if we're dealing with such a high amount of like LPS, well, what do you think your liver is going to produce higher amounts of? Okay. Mm. It's going to produce higher amounts of the LDL particles. Okay. Now, is that also a fundamental reason to why there's higher amounts of the LDL particles? And could that lead to higher amounts of things like plaquing and atherosclerosis? And the, once again, we would blame the LDL particles yeah. and we're going to blame the the, the LDL cholesterol, okay, and so we're going to blame cholesterol again. But really, wouldn't the smarter approach be to deal with the H. pylori and the negative gram bacteria to minimize the 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 amount of LDL particles that the liver has to constantly produce to deal with that? Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned triglycerides, and that that's probably a bigger concern when it comes to cardiovascular disease. And you touch on glucose and insulin and stuff as well. Do you want to go any more into why triglycerides are such a good marker to look at for cardiovascular issues? From a structural perspective, I said like triglycerides, it's a, it's a glycerol molecule and it's three long chain fatty acids molecules. And this is basically to do with like fuel reserves. So I don't want to like it make, make it sound like triglycerides are, are bad. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and, and when you've got like ex excess amounts of calories, then your, your, your body you form triglycerides and then the triglycerides are basically stored within the adipose cells or the adipocytes. And what I'm talking about here is like fat cells. Yeah. Okay. And so these are basically stored in, in most layman's terms as like fat reserves. That's fine. Yep. Um, and then basically these fat reserves, when you've got, when you want to use these fat reserves as like uh, as energy, okay. Um, and with the help of things like epinephrine and norepinephrine, like catecholamines, like stress hormones, you know, hormone sensitive lipase, which is an enzyme. And then maybe like a lowering of your blood glucose levels and all these things. Take, all, take this soup. Okay. Essentially what you do is you take the triglycerides and you convert them into free fatty acids, basically means that they're within the bloodstream. Yep. And then you shuttle them into the, the cell for energy. And then you're going to expel that by like, you know, uh, carbon dioxide, H2O. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So why this would be like a, like a better indication is because it might tell us, you know, uh, that the person like poor lifestyle factors, okay. Yeah. Uh, excess amounts of things like uh, refined carbohydrates, these types of things. Okay. Or just excess amounts of calories. Like maybe they're, you know, taking on, you know, high quantities of poor quality food. And, and why I would find this is a better indication is because now if we've got excess amounts of these things, well, it just comes down to what I've already talked about, okay? Because mm. um, they're going to take up way more space in the LDL particles, okay? Because they've essentially got to get transported. Yep. And that causes that decrease in the cholesterol in, in terms of, and now the liver's got to basically pump out more LDL particles so it can transport the cholesterol. And so that is going to, to give us a far better indication of like cardiovascular risk and indications of metabolic syndrome and all these things that you know we've been talking about so what's the answer so if someone's gone got the labs done they've got high cholesterol they've got and maybe maybe that's the only marker those mentioned to them and, and doctor said hey maybe you should take statins you should do something lower this but you know maybe they've gone and checked other markers and they've got elevated triglycerides they've got maybe maybe elevated glucose as well what's the answer 
There's definitely a lot in there because what mm. I would say is that you, you definitely want to test the LDL particles. Like, it, like if you've been told that you've got atherosclerosis, metabolic syndrome, okay, you want to get the LDL particles checked. You want to see what's going on from that perspective. It's first thing. And then you want to, you, you really want to, uh, if there is an ele- elevation in the LDL particles, okay, what's causing the, the elevation in the LDL particles? So is it the, the factors that we've talked about, like insulin resistance and, and metabolic syndrome and like, is there excess amounts of calories and all these things that we're talking about? Is there hypothyroidism? Okay, and now what's caused the sluggish thyroid? I mean, obviously, you know, uh, that's a conversation for another time. Now, is there, you know, underlying LPS issues like negative gram bacteria? And, you know, we always like to give, you know, remedies and, and, and things that people can apply, okay? But there's a lot there that you, you, yeah. you're going to... Yeah, and potentially people might have all three of those issues. And that's essentially what you have to rectify. You have to rectify all three of those issues. Okay. Now, something I could say that, you know, could be beneficial from the get-go. Like even if people, you know, rather than once again using something like statins, I mean, you can look at there's a there's a lot of information around something like red yeast rice. It's not something that I use, but there is a lot of information around that to actually help to lower things like LDL cholesterol and total cholesterol. But, you know, one of my favorites in this instance, because it's um, really multifaceted, so it's got a lot of other, you know, key benefits and, and it's been well documented to actually help to lower excessive like fasting triglycerides, okay? And that's like Allison or like aged garlic. In my head, yeah. I was like, I wonder if he's going to say what I'm thinking of, I was thinking aged garlic, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that's one that we would, that would be a go-to for us if we saw someone who had uh, elevation in these like lipid markers, okay? Now, why? Because... Allison is also antimicrobial. Yeah, it, it, it can, it's it's definitely well documented for being very effective against SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. I know they say it's sort of got a fifty percent uh, success rate. I think it actually might be higher than that, based on the what I've seen with clients. I'm sure, you probably agree with that. Okay. Yeah, I think um, HGI is quite good. Yeah. Yeah, and it can and it can be very beneficial against other pathogenic strains of bacteria as well. Mm. And so, you know, if we are dealing with the LPS, okay, if we are dealing with like negative gram bacteria, okay, like allicin can be even quite beneficial against even H. pylori, okay. So we're starting to cover that, we're starting to cover that base. Mm. Like, you know, even like, I don't know, would you say something like, uh, like black seed oil potentially, okay? Mm. Because yeah, there's been some studies showing that as well, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, black I mean, that's, seed oil. that's a really good one, Dave, because actually that'll work in the thyroid, which you've mentioned as well. It'll work antimicrobial, like you mentioned. Yeah, that's, Really yeah, so where yeah, where, where thanks, mate. Okay. Where it's been where it's been well documented, it's really uh, amazing at, at lowering like thyroid antibodies. It's really yeah. good for people who've got excessively high TSH. I'm not saying that's the be all and end all, okay, but definitely people who've got uh you know uh, elevated thyroid antibodies like TPO, okay. Yeah. It's very good for lowering those thyroid antibodies, and it's you know very well documented to actually help with like h pylori in particular yes it means it's actually got benefits against uh, negative gram bacteria okay so because yep. that's what we want to look at is like you know um things that are more multifaceted and gonna get yeah. and they're going to be beneficial in many different realms and believe it or not allison has also been well documented to actually help with even things like heavy metal clearance as well okay mm. so I'm, I'm not saying that's the the big thing that we're talking about here with like um you know, cardiovascular sure. risk and atherosclerosis and so forth. But at least it's like, it's also another benefit. And, you know, it, it, it does have a little bit of collateral damage on your beneficial flora. Okay. Like, you know, things like lactobacillus and bifidobacterium, but it's not one of the more extreme antimicrobials. I think, you know, a little bit on, on that. Yeah, it's certainly not. And I actually saw a study not long ago where it, it suggested it didn't, it wasn't too negative at all for some of the, the beneficial players. I'll see if I can find it and send it to you. 
um, but it's sort of changed my perspective a little bit on on aged garlic. Yeah, yeah, and maybe like a few of these antimicrobials have probably got some big benefits in this realm. So like even something like berberine, okay, because berberine. Mm-hmm. You know, they call it like uh, nature's metformin. I mean, that's the type 2 diabetic drug that actually helps with the GLUT4 transporter. So it helps to transport glucose into the cell for energy, okay? So it's going to help with those aspects of like, you know, uh, blood sugar management dysregulation. And, you know, it's uh, it's also antimicrobial as well, yeah? Okay? yeah. Um, it can work against things like SIBO. So it means it's got some benefits for negative gram bacteria. It's, it can be quite effective against yeast and candida. Yeah. So, you know... Um, you know, like some of those anti oil, that's a big one I use. Yeah. Cobbler, a, like, yeah. Or you, go, you go into that. I was just going to say, it's a stack of studies supporting use through juice and triglycerides. Yeah. I mean, like, the, I would say, um, like, my, my go to in terms of like, if there was like an elevation in all the lipid markers, my, my go to a lot of the time does tend to be Allison in that instance. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're well, obviously talking about like a really, you know, high quality, like aged garlic here, um, yeah. you know, something like, like an Alimed or something like that. Okay. It's, it's obviously a lot stronger as well. Um, I sometimes you know, just use garlic in that instance as well. I know it's not as, as good antimicrobial, but um, I think the study I just mentioned is a second ago, it was done in garlic garlic and it was, um, it showed the benefit for lipids, but it also, I actually believe I'm going to find it and track it down, but I believe it had a beneficial effect on lactobacillus, the garlic form. So in, yeah, Allison's obviously very good if we're talking about SIBO, but potentially other forms as well for some of the lipid issues. Yeah, so yeah, definitely, you know, omega-3 fatty acids, cod liver oil. Um, people can do a little bit of research around something like red yeast rice. Okay, Once mm-hmm. again, it's not something that I necessarily utilize, but yeah, I'd be more interested around things like Allison and uh, black seed oil and, these things because once again we just like to look at it from the aspect of something that's a lot more multifaceted and it's going to you know get you give you a lot more bang for your buck so do you want to touch on anything lifestyle that's probably a pretty big factor there yeah lifestyle factors of, of course like as i said you know i think energy balance in this instance that's that's something that could be really important to look at it's 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 a it's a really essential tool like where are your calories sitting yeah okay you know, the quality of the food that you're obviously putting in your body. Okay. You know, like, of course, like these lifestyle factors, they're, they're, they're essential aspects to look at as well, because obviously a lot of these things are contributing to the, to the blood sugar management dysregulation, yeah. the metabolic syndrome and all these types of things, like even like the, the hypothyroid, and I'd say like even looking at aspects of like, you know, what's going on with the gut lining, especially mm. around the aspect of like hypothyroidism as well. I mean, I'd say there's a, there's 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 probably a lot of factors okay that the that the individual needs to look at okay and because the more that they're willing to address mm. the more that they they they're going to fix the the the, the major things that are causing like yeah. the, the raise in the ldl particles and so forth in the first place yeah that's a very good point when it comes to anything health wise really it's not just going to be a, a one solution that's going to fix everything is it it's going to be there's going to be some key supplements it's going to be some key dietary changes it's going to be some key lifestyle changes you kind of need to do all of it it's 100 percent diet 100 percent lifestyle 100 percent supplements it's not just and if, and if it is a, if it if it is a case that it's just like you've got a raise in the total cholesterol and the ldl ldl cholesterol i mean maybe that's more restorative aspects okay like maybe that's more like stress management yeah 
whether that's things like metacognition and meditation and heart math and there may be like sleep aids might help in that instance okay whether it's like melatonin or things that uh, essentially might help with you know uh, gamma aminobutyric acid you know potentially like things that might help with dhea that might be like magnolia okay so um you know Anything that's going to help from a stress management perspective is probably going to be more significant in that instance if it is just the case that you've got a, an elevation in the, in the total cholesterol and the LDL, LDL cholesterol, which once again could just be a high reflection of like stress load yeah. okay, or chronic stress okay, and, and, and having to produce higher amounts of steroidal hormones. Mm-hmm. Okay, Dave, take us out with your favorite scallop recipe. Is it scallops you were saying, or that's what a, was it? That's a that's a that's a question that, that uh, I, I've never expected you to ask me. Okay, <laughs> look, I'm I'm, I'm a, a you know I'm easily pleased when it comes to food, but when it comes to to scallops, okay, you can't go past just like pan frying it in a whole heap of butter. Butter is a lot better for scallops, mate. Okay, is it's it? really okay. high, high in Walsen factor. Walsen factor actually helps to drive calcium uh, into the bone. You know, butter I'd put up there. You know, you get um. You know, you get it like uh, it's high in like iodized salt. So it's high in iodine. So it's good for the thyroid. Okay. I, you know, for me, it's uh, butter's close to a, a superfood. Okay. So throw them up in some butter. Any any seasoning, any herbs, any anything you want to chuck uh, in there? I'm pretty simple. Just butter is uh, pretty good for me, mate. Okay. okay. You up. could probably, you, yeah, you could probably <laughs> chuck in a few herbs if you want to you know, go for some <laughs> parsley or whatever that might be okay but I, I like to keep it pretty simple especially with food like that it already tastes pretty good i don't think you need to get too complex okay perfect. I definitely I, I definitely want to be on master chef mate well that's okay it's you've you've taken us out with your first installment of dave's cholesterol cooking tips <laughs> i mean do you do you have any favorite cholesterol no you know, mate, recipes, mate, mate i'm a scallop virgin i've not cooked them myself yet i've only had them out so <laughs> I'll have to give it a go. <laughs> okay, All thank right. you, mate. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll uh, talk to you guys next time. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening, guys. As always, we hope this podcast was helpful. If you want to continue to connect with us, our social media profiles are linked in the show notes. And don't forget, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only. None of the information provided in a gut feeling is intended to treat, diagnose, or give medical advice. So please consult a healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle.